Hi, I'm Barry Hamaguchi. And I'm Jason Marcos. This is Flop Redeemer, the podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance. Amy Winehouse broke through in a big way with her 2006 album Back to Black, earning the British singer-songwriter five Grammy Awards for her unique modern take on vintage soul music. Pop music pundits wondered whether her success signaled a cultural turn towards a retro renaissance. Today we're talking through some of the winners and losers in the world of throwback pop music. Hey, losers. <laughs> I had a lot of like repeating, um, repeating consonants in that. Alliteration, alliteration. Like uh, pop music pundits. Mm-hmm. Success signaled a retro renaissance. Yeah. Uh, just that one sentence. That was like really random and really hard to say. Uh, even just the earning the British singer-songwriter. Mm. Five Grammy yeah. Awards for her unique modern take. <laughs> <laughs> um. So... Um, do we have anything non-show related to report on uh, it's al- allergy season oh or God. the changes in weather? I, allergies in the time of COVID are like a little scary. I was just like, what is this? I'm sneezing. Oh no. But then yeah. I, you know, I put on, I had to put a mask on in my house why and it just to alleviate like wearing a mask, like a, oh. like a KN95 oh. mask is so good for alleviating allergies. If we were not speaking directly into microphones right now, I might consider putting on a mask because that's interesting because yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like I don't think about it outside of it, you know, but it's like, yeah, I haven't really had like, a, I haven't been, had a cold. Yeah. I mean, you know, you think about like those masks are supposed to be blocking viruses, micro microbes, I mean, allergens. the allergens that the allergens that are you know causing you irritation now are much much larger than that. You could yeah, probably wear true. a like a non medical grade face mask and still reap benefits of blocking out little uh, well, pollen and, and, particles. And one of the things is, you know, we we've been doing a a backyard renovation, and because we had to um, disconnect our air conditioning unit for the for at least for a short period while we're doing this we've had to leave the house open like at night to like cool it down. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so normally I would have my HEPA filter, like air conditioning, like running so that like it would stay cool and I would, you know, I don't get all the dust and the pollen, but because the house is literally just open up all night, like I wake up and I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> like hit in the face. Yeah. Anyway. Well, you know, I guess it's kind of bad luck for you then that the, the week that you disconnect your AC unit is the week that Los Angeles decides that uh, the seasons are changing. Yeah. Well, you know, Tuesday, it kind of goes back to normal. Oh, there's a 40% chance of rain. And then it's like in the sixties and low seventies, the rest for like the next two weeks. I'll believe it when I see it. I guess Punxsutawney Phil though. Punk, he didn't, he tell us it's going to be more. Well, winter? But didn't, one, didn't, didn't one of them say more winter. The other one said like less winter. Oh, is there like a rival groundhog? Yeah, there was another one. Oh, and well, then some I'm... other groundhog died. I don't know. Oh, geez. What, what I mean, does that mean? It was just weird. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, it means that spring is never going to be here. Speaking of peop- flop redeemers or flops redeemed, uh, today is, this, it, you know, when we're recording this, this is the morning of the Super Bowl. And uh, a flop redeemer alum, Mary J. Blige, will be partaking mm-hmm. in the halftime show. Yeah, because. Um... I think doesn't Mary J. Blige have a new album coming? She out? She does. So, okay. so the the last few months, I've been getting a little on my um, 
uh, Spotify release radar that I would get these little, you know, like Mary J. Blige come out with a song. And it was for the most part, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, for the most part, it was like rap. Like she was just like rapping stuff. Okay. And I kind of wasn't here for it. I, you know, I'd be like on my way to get coffee in the morning or something. And I'm like, I'm not in the mood. Um, but then Friday, uh, she released, her album came out. And I, oh, it already came out. Yeah, it came out on, okay. well, you know, the timing. Friday, it's out. She's yeah. performing in the Super Bowl on Sunday. So, masterful. Um, yeah, it's like a plan. Um, it's, it is, a, it's supposed to be more like traditional, I'm not traditional, but like, singing um i don't know we'll see it's it's her uh post divorce her divorce is finally finalized so um it's supposed to be about that okay i mean you know what's funny is that i've heard nothing about the uh the mary j blige album but what spotify sent me the notification i just had to look it up two days ago spotify sends me the notification Catherine mcphee colon the biography all you want to know right in one place tap to view it knows that you've been for like just just it, furiously listening to Catherine I, McPhee. But you know, but at the same time, like how da- how dare you, Spotify? If First you need Joe a reason, Rogan, now this. If you if you need a reason to delete Spotify, you have to call. You, I, it's because it's because Spotify called me out for my Catherine McPhee fandom. Are you a secret Republican too? I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Is she? We have to get to the bottom of this. I'll do a Catherine McPhee episode where I get to the bottom of her politics. <laughs> I don't really I mean, care. she's married to David Foster. Yeah. Noted, noted, isn't David Foster a noted liberal? Well, is or is he still yes. a liberal? Well, I don't know. I mean, he's a Democrat. Yeah, I mean, he, they, well, because isn't that how how Josh Groban got famous? We talked about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gray he Davis. got him to do Gray Davis's thing. But Disgraced, um, disgraced California former Governor Gray Davis. I do always wonder when you've got that much money, what your politics end up being. <laughs> Yeah, right? I mean... I think you end up being more, quote-unquote, centrist. Yeah. I mean, his whole take on music, like, it just feels so old and crotchety. David Foster? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, but he's David Foster. His whole thing, like, I think of him as kind of steering Catherine McPhee's career towards, like, uh, being, like, a standard singer. Like a gauzy light. Like, uh, not going into the bright light, but, like, the, the uh, yeah. Just, like, songs from the American songbook. You but know, look, like, I... L- I mean, let's be clear. Like, nothing else has worked for her. Well, nothing has worked for her. That's what I mean. So why not try something else? That, it, that has proven, like, quality... Like, you can argue about the quality, but, like, those Rod Stewart standards albums, that Aretha Franklin standard album, like, they were incredibly popular with a very specific set of people. Even looking looking at the Lady Gaga, Tony Bennett. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. people love... There's an interest there. There, for, there is. And, and there's it, an audience it, there. It's 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 not... I mean, it's just cash cow. So it's a way to get to Vegas. I'm going to I'm gonna get to the bottom of this. What, 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 what went wrong with Catherine McPhee? Like, what is... Like, what is your favorite thing that Catherine McPhee ever did? Probably that one time she did Black Horse and the Cherry Tree on American Idol. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, okay. But like, I haven't really followed her since. I did watch the beginning. I I don't think, even think I watched the full season of Smash. Oh, okay. Like, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, it got to be, even at the time, I was like, this is insane. I loved Smash. I, I have well, to say it. I mean, I... I, I so I, good. Is it on? I think it's on streaming now, right? So you can revisit the glory of Smash. It is available. I know this because I, I I was very excited when this happened. It's available on IMDb TV. 
but with mm. it's ad supported so you have to sit through commercial breaks which is yeah. disappointing um i think i also um knew about it because i think Catherine mcphee tweeted about it when it happened <laughs> about it being on imdb tv yeah i yeah. see um no i because well, it was I stuck really in limbo for her. so long i really don't know her that much <laughs> I, I mean, know. you know, she did, she did smash. That was a, a great vehicle for her until it wasn't. Yeah. And then, um, I feel like it was more a vehicle for Megan Hilty. Okay. A- among a certain set. Like, I mean, th- that's the one who got, I feel like she got more praise from it. Longer lasting uh, shine than. Oh, interesting. Really? Megan Hilty. Because I didn't watch it. If I was just going off of the conversations that I would see online. Okay. I would have thought that Megan Hilty got more out of more mileage out of smash than cat mcphee i think that um i think that smash made me think that megan hilty was a bigger deal than she actually is maybe we're saying the same thing in a different way i I guess (laughs) but i mean i don't think that she's continued to have the same level of opportunity as Catherine mcphee after well if you don't marry david foster i mean how could you Hey, like when Catherine McPhee landed her leading role in the CBS uh, thriller crime oh. technology series Scorpion, uh, she was not. That she, is true. She was dating her co-star on Scorpion. That's um, right. I forget what that guy's name is. Well, is Scorpion's not on, t- on the air anymore, Elias, right? Elias, Elias Gable? Elias Gable? It, that sounds like a Willy Wonka character. You, you know him if you saw him. Um, I think he was recently... And some legal hot water. Oh. But they were dating when Scorpion started. Uh-huh. Um, Scorpion ran for, I think, five seasons. Jeez. The whole CBS, the whole man. premise of it is like, um, the guy is a genius. He uses his uh, massive IQ to solve mysteries. Mm. And um, Catherine McPhee is just like a normal waitress. But she's got this incredibly gifted son. But what she's able to do as like a quote unquote normal person or like a, I guess a neurotypical person Mm -hmm. is um, translate this team of geniuses to like their like government handlers. She acts as like, like okay, she's like like the the, emotional, she's like the emotional component to their team where like when the geniuses don't understand why their actions are being misconstrued or perceived of as like bad, she can like translate it to them and be like, look, like this is, this is how you should be acting in this situation. Like, but anyway, you know, the the whole show is built up around the will they or won't they between the two leads, right? Mm. Catherine which McPhee. they did right in the in, 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 in real, real life. life they were together they broke up like in the middle of the fourth season mm. and just all everything was lost for me i just i mean yes I, but I don't that know. was the best thing Catherine mcphee ever did you can find okay. it on paramount plus by the way i have that <laughs> and i probably will not i mean the one thing about those those kinds of shows that i knew from watching tv with my aunt and uncle on sunday night because like cbs was like what they had it on right is like or what I remember from those kinds of procedurals mm-hmm. is like their ver like the CBS version of like an edgy goth person <laughs> was always like, oh, she's had she has pigtails and black lipstick. She's edgy, like, and she'd be like the quirky one, like, and people would. Be is like, that a reference to um, NCIS? 
Well, like the NCIS. Okay. Or, or, but like every every one of those shows has like this person who's like, oh, the the computer, the quote unquote computer person. And they're like, they, they wear black or purple and they're like a little edgier than whatever. And I'm like, I've never seen this person in my life. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that the characterizations in Scorpion, you know, maybe a little more diverse than that. Well, they have a whole team of nerds. They're okay. all nerds. Um, their FBI handler is, um, oh no, not FBI. What's the other agency? Um, and NSA? No. I, I don't know. Homeland Security. Homeland Security. Oh. DHS. Their DHS handler is, um, the Terminator, Terminator 2. Oh, wait. The white guy? Yeah. Whatever his name the is. The one who like turned into liquid. Like, yes. Okay. Yes. The, yeah. the guy that turned into liquid. Um, and yeah, available uh, now. Let me, on, let me uh, tell Paramount you. Plus. Let me tell you that the Paramount Plus, the CBS show that I am watching, Ghosts. Oh. If you've seen that, it is it's it. very good. Um, it's about this couple that um, they, this young couple, they, she finds out that she has inherited this this old house, this old manor house, like kind of in upstate New York. So she and her husband move out of Brooklyn to go renovate it because they want to. Their dream is to start an air like a, a bed and breakfast. Mm-hmm. So they go up there. And the house is actually full of, um, of 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 people who have died in that house. Like, <laughs> different spirits. There's like a jazz singer. There's an old Revolutionary War guy. Um, and they're you know they're trying first they're trying to get them out. And then she falls down, hits her head, and can now see the ghosts and communicate with them. But okay, no this one is else ringing can. a bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. actually very. It's based on a on a BBC show, and you can find the BBC version on BritBox actually. Okay. Um, it ran for like know. four or five seasons, but the the American one is actually funnier. Like, I'm not into ghosts. I'll put that out there. I just, I, I, I mean, they're not scary at all. It's I find like all that. ghosts scary. I was, I was this kid that was, <laughs> cry- I was crying on the haunted mansion ride when I was a kid. Yeah, just well, I mean, the whole way through. It's been many, many decades since then, Barry. I, st- I, I mean, hope. I was scared of the haunted mansion well into my twenties. Could not open my eyes. I can't, it's it's weird. It's that smell of that room. Like only now, like in my forties, I've like decided I can enjoy the haunted mansion, but <laughs> didn't we just go on it? Yeah. No, okay. but like when Were I went, okay? yeah, no, now I'm fine. Okay. But I'm saying like into my twenties, like I was oh. very, very scared of that ride. This, just the smell of it. It's like psychologically like be scary to you. Like it triggering. is so bright and like no, it's not a it's, haunted spooky house I, I know i just don't i just don't want to deal with ghosts i don't see the point in dealing with ghosts <laughs> apparently it's the number one tv show on television now. i'm just i'm moving forward i'm not not looking to the past okay all right except today when we're talking about retro soul revival exactly. music exactly what a segue what a segue <laughs> um why don't um, we take a break and then come back for it yes let's do that Songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopredeemer.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And check us out on social at flopredeemer on Instagram and Twitter and at facebook.com slash flopredeemer. And of course, email us at flopredeemer at gmail.com with any suggestions. Um, We did receive comments and feedback uh, this week uh, on on Twitter and and other places. So we love getting that so that it gets our juices flowing for what we're going to talk about next. So... (laughs) All right, we'll see you when we come back. We're back. All right. Um, I'm still pretty unprepared for these episodes. I don't want to share my script with you. 
Jason. But but you did because, tell me you have two points that you'd like to address. I do. I have two main bullet points to discuss during this episode. The first bullet point is shimmy your shoulders. And the second one is why are they white women? <laughs> I did, Those are the two things that I wrote out like in a fever dream moment of just being like, what are the things I need to talk about in terms of this music, in terms of this artist, in terms of the other artists um, that I put in this week's playlist. So keep me on track. I mean, those we are, are nothing t- if not seekers of knowledge. <laughs> yeah. we so, want the <laughs> so this week, um, you know, I wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, you know, we're kind of talking about Amy Winehouse, but instead of talking about an Amy Winehouse flop, I wanted to talk about some like Amy adjacent artists who have maybe made music in a similar oeuvre, but were not met with the levels of success that Amy Winehouse achieved. Because... I think that even though Amy Winehouse's success with Back to Black, the Back to Black album was, it was seen at the time as like a bellwether for the marketability of this music, right? The throwback R&B soul music that record companies, other artists were maybe thinking like, oh, like this is, this sound is something that contemporary pop audiences will eat up, you know? Mm-hmm. But in the at the end of the day, like I think that the reach of that level of success was pretty limited, mm. you know, because I'd say like around the same time we were also getting Gnarls Barkley kind of hitting the airwaves. Um, full disclosure: I did not put a Gnarls Barkley song on this week's playlist because um, because CeeLo Green. Yeah, I still. I mean, and it's, that's like a totally personal me thing. Like you can feel however you want about CeeLo Green. I still have like a great discomfort over the controversies that CeeLo Green himself has um, instigated in his own life. Sure. Based on um, events and things that he said about alleged events in his life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which are all Googleable. Yes. Look them up if you're interested. But in, in 2006, around in and around the time that Amy Winehouse released Back to Black... Gnarls Barkley also released the album Saint Elsewhere and the smash single Crazy that we all went crazy. We all went crazy for. We lost our minds. <laughs> and I think that those two album releases to me signaled, oh, like this is something new, right? Mm-hmm. That we're getting in pop music. This is not what I ever thought I would hear in, you in know, that our time. Year, in our year of the Lord 2006 and 2007. Yeah. Um, is yeah. that right? Is this the year of our Lord? Are they all years of our Lord? Sorry, I just said yeah, that. Any, I, anytime after he was born, it was the year of our Lord. Oh, <laughs> I'm oh sure. is that what it means? It's like the yeah. AD. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anna Domina. <laughs> oh, you're, you're, I even took Latin and I just, um. <laughs> what did you think it stood for? After I mean, the dinosaurs? <laughs> no, I mean, I knew that, that it's Anno Domini, but I never translated that. Uh, the year of our the Lord. year of our Lord. <laughs> Anyway, okay. <laughs> uh, um, so Gnarls Barkley, we get them. We get Amy Winehouse's Back to Black in 2000. I think it was end of 2006, beginning of 2007. It all started happening. Mm. Like, I remember hearing the song Rehab before the album came out. And I mm-hmm. remember, like, people kind of, again, lost their minds over that song. And it's, it's, a, it's a great song mm-hmm. for so many different reasons. And it just captures... It captures a particular moment in time, like in a way that I feel like not a lot of other songs really do, like mm. become iconic of a particular time. Um, but, you know, after Amy Winehouse, we do 
at least here in the States, we only get a few, like, what would you call them? Like followers of mm. Amy Winehouse. It seems weird to call them that because they're not really so, direct like, followers. Like, like, like subsequent, subsequent successful forays into this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we talk about it a lot. We talked about the Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Jessica Simpson, Mandy Moore. Who comes after Mandy Moore? Like Willa Ford. Oh, Oh, I mean, where she, it just gets like it's like it's like a facsimile of a facsimile. Of yeah, a facsimile. our carbon copy of a carbon copy yeah. theory. Like There's it a happens Hoku Ho in there somewhere. Yeah, I mean Hoku Ho. She's not even really part of it. Is she? I, I mean, is she more of like a Hillary Duff? I think you know what you know what. Forget I said that. She was well before. She was like she was like a because she was actually more of a contemporary of Christina and Britney, and I think just did not actually take off. Well, because um, her first single came out. Um, no, no, no. I mean, when, by the time that she had that song on in Legally Blonde, uh-huh. like Hoku sings the song at the end of Legally oh, Blonde when the perfect day. That song that plays at at the graduate at the law school graduation. That's Hoku. But prior to that, she had already had that another dumb blonde song. Yeah, which was a very, I mean, which received a really lukewarm reception, I think. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. No, because <laughs> we're not talking we're about not talking about that. We're not talking about that. Um, you know, at the time that Amy Winehouse kind of broke through in the United States, a lot of the perception was that like Amy Winehouse was going to do for this type of music what Nirvana had done for grunge music or what Britney Spears had done for pop music. You know, basically like lead a parade of you know, the people that come after them that bring the genre, that genre of music to the forefront. But again, like in the United States, we had very limited, I think there was very limited success for this type of music. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Adele and Duffy are largely credited as like followers of Amy Winehouse. I never, I never particularly saw the connection between Amy Winehouse and Adele necessarily. I, I never would have thought as um, well with the exception of like the one Mark Ronson produced song on Adele's debut album that I put on the playlist cold shoulder. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know yeah. that I necessarily would have connected Adele as like a vintage soul I, I mean, inspired she, artist. She certainly wasn't um, whatever the new pop was. I mean, you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. her sound did sound older like for whatever reason like you know it it was especially having come after amy winehouse's album like i think like that would really be the closest comparison i mean it wasn't like the spice girls it wasn't like you know whatever like not little mix but like uh one of those groups you know it wasn't it wasn't that kind of like girl pop that was coming out of the uk at the time it definitely had tinges of like a retro thing right like maybe not necessarily exactly retro soul but even like her personality and stuff were kind of like she wasn't like super polished like she was more like yeah like there was a relatability that i think both she and amy winehouse had to some extent yes i mean to me the biggest connection between the two of them is that they both both they both wore a lot of um eyeliner at the Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. i i yeah i i i see a like a um similar like there was like a not lo-fi sensibility but like uh i i think i see some musical similarities at at least at the beginning not certainly not by the time adele did the second one i mean the approach 
I think that there's always one kind of vintagey throwback song from Adele, but the rest of them are very like adult contemporary, sometimes a little folksy. Yeah. It's a lot of ac- acoustic guitar or like um acoustic piano. Um yeah. but then she did have the one Mark Ronson song on mm-hmm. her debut album and that was like the very direct correlation to this kind of like it's like um it's weird it's it's kind of a throwback to like 60s 60s soul music 60s pop music mm-hmm. where you have kind of like a like a, a live horn line and a live drum track it all sounds very much like it was recorded together in one room all at the same time mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I anyway i don't know that i necessarily ever saw like the direct connection other than the fact that like in quick succession we did get three ladies from the uk who were singing not pop music but they were being recognized as pop stars mm-hmm. and similarly to like a britney spears christina aguilera jessica simpson progression i think with each one you saw well with the, adele being the exception but i think you saw like a, a drop off in the interest in an artist like duffy yeah at the time and then after that i mean i saw places where they talk about estelle as a potential follower of amy winehouse i don't i really don't see that except for the fact that she's british and the fact that we very rarely get breakthrough british artists on u.s charts is it is it a thing of having a british artist who sings in a way that you can tell that they're british because you know how like sometimes like there's like a british art you can't hear their accent yeah and like if you think about like estelle Adele. Estelle sings with a British accent. Adele Adele sings with an American accent. Not at the beginning. I think, no, I think that Lily Allen, who was Lily Allen talking shit about? Lily Allen notoriously sings with a British accent. And I swear, like, back when... You haven't even um, talked about Lily Allen. She's kind of like, uh, oh, she, she fits in here too, doesn't she? I mean, that's the thing, is like, if I think about, what was the first Lily Allen single we got here? Was Smile? I don't remember. I just remember that her song being is like a isn't that song like around. a reggae song? Oh, I don't know. If it just smile. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it reggae? Yeah, it's. It different. has kind of. I mean, what it's I very, what I like superficially whatever. identify as a reggae beat. Um, okay. I'd have to do some Wikipedia research to actually verify yeah. what genre of music. That but is. no, I no, wouldn't but, think Estelle is like a retro soul sound at all. Yeah, especially not the stuff that she released here. Mm-mm. Like, I would say that, like, that missing Estelle album, I think I talked about it in the Estelle episode, that her her first album, which I think was called 1980, I think. Um, masterpiece, masterpiece. Still not what I would consider, like, vintage soul. I would almost consider it, like, uh, a rap album that, you know, like, I mean, for years, like, rap music was sampling these beats and these melodies for use in their music for like decades, right? Mm-hmm. From like the 90s, it became more acceptable for artists to start sampling. I think, you know, when it first started happening, people were like, oh, this this is like a ripoff. But then like suddenly there's like an art to sampling. Um, anyway, like, you know, the stuff that Estelle was doing in her debut album was like that. Um, I already lost my thread, but where, where am I? Oh, shimmy my shoulders. I got to <laughs> get to that someday. Shimmy my um, shoulders. So anyway, the my point being that I don't know that the the mainstream retro soul revival was as big of a moment as people maybe thought it was going to be. 
you know, we still get the occasional breakthrough in the years following with artists like Bruno Mars, who obviously like also collaborates with Mark Ronson, you know, tapping into a different era at, by that time. I think when, um, when Bruno, what's the song Bruno Mars does with Mark Ronson? Uptown uh, Funk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously like tapping into like a different vintage yeah. era. Yeah, than not the girl Amy group, Winehouse not the Phil Spector type of girl groupie. I think that's kind of more what we're talking about with these, with like an Amy yeah. Winehouse. It's like the what was it? Shiraz Amy Winehouse. Thing. I think. I think Amy Winehouse had uh, talked about uh, the Shangri Las mm. as like you know a point of a Isn't point of the, reference. The Do Run Run. You know the Shangri No the Shangri Las. Have you seen the TikToks where it's like oh no oh yeah, yeah. no it, they, that's the Shangri Las. Oh, is it? Yeah, I think the biggest hit for the we, Shangri Las was um. Was it my boyfriend's back? I think so. Okay, yeah, but now because of TikTok, I think their biggest hit is the that oh no, oh no, oh no, 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 no song. (laughs) Like who who gets paid for that? Uh, The 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 estate of the Shangri Laws, right? TikTok has to be licensing that stuff, right? Oh, speaking of, did you know the Shangri Laws? Sorry, I just looked them up. They're white. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know that. Leader of the pack. <laughs> I could. Like, oh, leader pack. of the pack. That, that's what it is. Well, you can tell that's from leader the of the pack that they're white. Yeah. Leader of the okay. pack. Vroom, vroom. <laughs> um, I could just tell from your face when you're like, did you know about the Shangri-Las? I, I was looking at your face and I was like, that's the Jason just realized someone's white face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? I didn't know that. Um. Uh, okay. So. What was I talking about? Oh, so, you know, we get, we get, we get breakthroughs here and there, I think of artists Mm -hmm. that are able to capitalize on this trend. Um, In the end, I was thinking it's kind of like, you know, in the nineties, we had the mighty, mighty boss tones um, Mm -hmm. who just recently broke up by the way. Um, Cause I, if a tree falls in um, the forest. Well, you know, I, people were like, I didn't even know what the mighty, mighty boss tones were still together. And that's what um, I mean. Cause I think that, um, the lead singer of the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones wrote a song for some conservative organization, I believe. And so that in the year of our Lord, 2022, brought about the end of the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. bridge too far. <laughs> yeah. I forget what it, it was. It was. I think it was, did Trump have a big January 6th rally? He did. I think maybe maybe the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones guy wrote, wrote right. co- like or he's credited as a co-writer. I don't know. Anyway, we're I'm gonna, not gonna look I, that up. allegedly allegedly. I think <laughs> this is what I recall reading. Um. Anyway, so these and, um, so there was a that was a different, but that was that well, no, but before. I, no, but like I'm saying that like the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones in the context of the '90s was kind of like, you know, they broke through big. They were in that scene in Clueless, and. You know, at the time, it would have been easy to think like, oh, we're going to get a lot more music like the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones off the on the heels of their success. Well, we did get Save Ferris and... Uh, Isn't that a little night. different? Is it? I don't know. Like, at the time, it felt very uh, retro. But I, I don't, I'm not going to get into musical sh- subgenres there, I guess, because I, I don't think I could identify. I mean, what, what do you think about when we were, what was it, the late 90s, there was that swing dance, was it a Brian Seltzer Orchestra? Oh, Brian Seltzer Orchestra, yeah, the yeah, swing yeah. dance craze, of which I partook. And they were like squirrel nut zippers. Mm-hmm. 
but like you know by and large like it's not like pop music completely turned away from its center and mm-hmm. was like oh like mighty mighty boss tones like yes like this is pop music now yeah it's just kind of like here and there something breaks through something catches people's ears and such i think is the case with this type of music that like amy winehouse was making yeah and there were many others that like didn't get the reception that she did um you know and i don't want to i don't i feel like i in talking about this in talking about this, I don't want to like downplay Amy Winehouse's success because at the end of the day, I think that there's a reason that in a very short period of time, Amy Winehouse was able to achieve this level of success, a level of like icon status and a type of like, you know, legendary status that very few people achieve, right? Because it's not just about the vintage throwback aspect of the music it's also the quality of her voice, her musicianship, her lyricism, like, mm-hmm. you know, all the lyrics that she wrote, um, her image, both her like style image and then her public image, which was mm-hmm. obviously kind of, you know, a, I think it played a big part in dovetailing into her music because mm-hmm. a lot of her music is just very sad mm-hmm. when you listen to the lyrics and it kind of fit into the the struggles that we were all witnessing her go through at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I think that at the end of the day, there is, there is a legitimate reason that Amy Winehouse is, you know, the star that she is in the eyes of pop culture, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, there are a lot of other songs and artists that, I really appreciate that I feel like are stylistically connected. There's some connective tissue with, you know, songs that didn't get quite as much play or recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I put shimmy your shoulders in this script as a big bullet point. I kind of don't remember why. Is I that think, because it's like the girl group thing? Like, I guess I was, they have to do the I was thinking, I was trying to think of like a way to characterize this music, like all the music that I consider as like a vintage throwback soul revival moment. It's the type of music that you can imagine the, the shimmying of the shoulders. Yeah. Where they kind of do the step and the, yeah, the, mm-hmm. the three, the, the three mm-hmm. ladies and their uh, bouffant hairdos, yeah. the big microphones, and they're all doing like a, yeah. sh- a shoulder shimmying dance. The long very skinny di- microphone. Very Diana Ross vibes or like, you know, or uh, I always think about that number in hairspray, the musical, um, Hairspray the musical the movie uh-huh. um, the new girl in town number where oh, they'd yeah. have the white girls covering the song by the black girls and they mm-hmm. cut back and forth between them dancing it's mm-hmm. somewhere it's somewhere in that realm yes. those you know sh- yes. shoulder shimmy dances yes um, and that is really what these songs that were these these singers that we're talking about who who do become successful kind of emulate I think it's mm-hmm. when you when you maybe that's the difference we were talking earlier about like well, what's the difference because in the ones that were like more successful that broke through on like the pop side and the others that kind of just stayed in there, whatever genre the artist was associated with, it was kind Mm -hmm. of like a novelty on their side, but not didn't, didn't, didn't shake up the music industry or didn't take the world by storm. And I think that's part of it. I think like it was the ones that emulate that emulated that girl group sound from the sixties versus Mm -hmm. 
a more traditional, maybe just a traditional R and B sound from the sixties. Yeah. And I think, I mean, energy, but I think another important component to that was, um, reinventing that sound and not replicating that sound Mm -hmm. it goes back into like when you listen to amy winehouse's lyrics contextualize into this type of music it creates something completely different Mm -hmm. you know it uses it uses that you know sonic signature of 60s soul music but gives it an entirely modern context yeah it wasn't just like like redoing it yeah because you know i think when you're when you're throwing it back to something, you always need to f- figure out like, why am I doing this and how am I making it different? And I think Amy Winehouse really, really captured that. Well, um, and when we say that, we also mean like Mark Ronson and the Dap Kings. Like obviously she played a, a big role, but it was putting that all together to have that sound. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a hot, that's a hot take. I'll you take think? it. You think, well, that it was no, just, yeah. you think it was just Amy Winehouse? Well, they had a falling out, you know, like shortly before Amy Winehouse died, like she and Mark Ronson had this big falling out because mm-hmm. he said something to the effect of like, you know, like what he and Salam Remy did for Back to Black, like the, they were the main producers on it. And Amy Winehouse was basically like, you're talking as though this was a 50-50, like that you did half the work. And she was very adamant that like, no, like, I, I did this. Like, this is my music, you know? Um, it's just funny, which is a funny take. Like, I think Mark, I think Mark Ronson was misconstrued maybe in what he said, mm-hmm. because everything that I read from him about the process of making uh, Back to Black, especially with Amy Winehouse and with the Daft, Daft Kings, he's very deferential in terms of like, no, like when you're talking about the lyrics or the melody, like Amy did that. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about the arrangement, when you're talking about, the the production of it the dap kings did that mm-hmm. which makes me like you know it makes me feel like mark ronson is like more of like a tastemaker in that sense mm-hmm. like he's able to wrangle together all these different parts into like something very unique but like you know he gives full credit to like the dap kings in terms of um a lot of those back to black tracks that he did or or even the um the song that he and amy winehouse did for his album um mm-hmm. the cover of valerie mm-hmm. like he take he he gives them a lot of credit in terms of saying like, well, when I heard this song in my head, I was thinking it was going to be arranged in a particular way, but you know, I gave them the track and then they just kind of did their thing and they put their signature on it. Um, You know, so yeah, I, I, I I uh, didn't uh, mean to say that like it was one or the other. I just meant we hadn't really mentioned them at all in terms of the creation of the sound and like what an important part of, I mean, the, the Dap Kings got a lot yeah. of mileage out of that too. You know, I mean, out of this, yeah. like if we're talking about people who are still still have sort of cachet, Mark Ronson. I, I don't Dap know Kings. if they got a lot of mileage out of it, but they got some mileage. Well, I mean, it just depends on like where what you're talking about, right? Like when we talk about flops, I mean, it's like in, like I would say like among the quote unquote, like I guess in LA, like the KCRW crowd, like people who listen to like, I, don't, I guess music aficionados, I guess in a way, like who, who sure, are just about sure. pop music, like they know what that means i guess because like you have sharon jones and the dap kings yeah but here's the question is do the dap did the dap kings deserve as much success following black back to black as mark ronson yeah and they didn't get that yeah (laughs) they absolutely did not get that level of success or recognition 
Um, and that actually is the first song that's on my playlist for this week is a song by Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. It's a song called How Long Do I Have to Wait? It's from their 2005 album, Naturally. So an album that was released, Before. you know, a year in advance of Back to Black by Amy Winehouse. And, you know, as we've been talking about the Dap Kings that performed um, as a group with Sharon Jones, they were uh, the band that backed Amy Winehouse for a lot of the Mark Ronson produced tracks on Back to Black. Um, and Sharon Jones is someone that, you know, struggled to gain recognition throughout her lifetime. Um, you know, she had been trying to break into the recording industry, I think since like the late seventies, maybe, um, you know, and then she didn't really gain any success until she was well under her forties with the Dap Kings. Um, you know, the lore of Sharon Jones is that she spent years working as like a prison guard on Rikers Island, that for a time she was um, the person that guards the armored truck for Wells Fargo, mm -hmm. you know, so clear, clearly like she's a she's a tough, a tough broad, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but she'd been trying to break into the music industry for a long time. And I think at some point she had said in an interview that she was always told that she was too short, too fat and too dark to make it in the music industry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, nevertheless, she persisted. And I think she was doing session singing for one of these like, uh, revival labels, like, like the, the Dap Kings and Dap Tone records. There's, there's record, there's like indie record labels that specialize in this type of music, like this kind of jazzy, funky soul revival stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And she'd been doing session singing and she was discovered in one of these sessions doing backing vocals for, um, Lee Fields and on the heels of that, like she, she got, she got together with the Dap Kings. Um, one of the Dap Kings and one of the guys they worked with, they formed Dap Tone Records and they started making music as Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Um, and that was like in 2002. So well before any of this was really in the cultural psyche. Right. And, um, she releases this album in 2005. In 2005 and 2006, the Dap Kings are recruited by Mark Ronson to start recording with Amy Winehouse. And, you know, that's where the magic is made, so to speak. But in the aftermath of that, it, you know, it raises a big question about Amy Winehouse's rise to stardom. And then Sharon Jones is, you know, the bump that she received in recognition because of Amy Winehouse, mm -hmm. but like why Amy, why Sharon Jones was never met with the same level of success, I guess. Or enthusiasm. Or enthusiasm. Like, again, like to your point, like in, in terms of like the NPR crowd, Sharon Jones is like a huge deal. Mm -hmm. I think, did you go to, did you go to the Hollywood bowl with yeah, me? Yeah. She okay, was like, fantastic. Like, yeah. We went to the Hollywood, she, she filled the Hollywood bowl with a yeah. crowd and and she was amazing and she had a really um, compelling story too i mean you know like i think at the time she her her cancer she she battled cancer for a while and yeah. i think it was in remission at that time correct so right? I, I think because when we saw her at the hollywood bowl she was rocking like the shaved head yeah 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 um but yeah you know she, and she was just so good her music is so good but it, you know to go into that idea that amy what amy winehouse was doing was re reinventing a genre i think that like 
Yeah. Um, what Sharon Jones did was very um, deferential to the genre, right? Like she was very much, mm-hmm. you know, keeping the genre what it had been doing, but just making new music in that same vein. Um, like she does the, she does the classic like um, song that has like a, a minute intro of a phone conversation between her and a no good man. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. Like classic, yeah, yeah, yeah. classic. I love, I and, love. And she really does update it, right? Like it, it does, it does become its own thing too. Yeah, it does. But I don't think it, I don't think it twists it as far as Amy Winehouse no. maybe did. No, no, no. Um, but nonetheless, um, and her, vo- her voice so good. The music all just so good. So amazing. She has one of my favorite, I know you don't like these, but my favorite Christmas oh, album. Oh, her Christmas album. I love it. I do. Okay. You know okay. what it is? I, I was yeah. playing it yesterday and I was like, I don't even know that this is a a Christmas album. Christmas album. Wasn't there like a yeah. dreidel, dreidel, yeah. dreidel song or something that she sings? I think okay. so. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Anyway, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, check them out. I think that like given that the Dap Kings were, you know, pretty instrumental in Amy Winehouse's breakthrough success, you know, because, you know, I think yeah. it's worth not- noting that like, Amy Winehouse's Back to Black was her second album. Like in the States, we didn't actually get her first album, I think until later, but her first album had done very well for her in the UK. The album, uh, Frank did, mm-hmm. what was that song? Fuck, fuck me pumps. Fuck me pumps. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, that was a, that was a more like jazz inspired album, I guess. And that like going into Back to Black, her fascination was more with like, 50s and 60s girl groups um ronnie specter obviously because of her hair and um you know i think that again like the dap king's thumbprint on that is pretty clear Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um the second artist that i put on my playlist was betty levette and i I honestly did not know much about betty levette until i became part of the npr crowd Mm. because in 2005 uh betty levette released an album called i've got my own hell to raise and i think i actually received this album as part of an npr pledge drive oh yeah but the you know the the folks at on npr they were big they were talking this album up very big and Uh i had never heard of betty levette betty levette apparently is a uh a soul singer and songwriter who had been recording since like the early sixties when she was just like a teenager. And, um, she'd had pretty limited success throughout her life as, um, a pop singer or an R and B singer. I think the, the, the song from her that I actually recognized was a song called let me down easy that she put out in 1965. So I think she would have been like 19 or 20 at that point. But there's a revived interest in her and her vocals in 2005, and she releases this album. And the song that I put on my playlist for this week is a song called How Am I Different? And this is a cover of an Amy Mann song that I actually really like as well. Um, Amy Mann was the singer for... Oh my gosh. I don't know. I know. I mean, I know that this is the story, but... Amy Mann first came to prominence for me when she did, was it the Magnolia Magnolia soundtrack? soundtrack, Yes. Because I was like, that was not really my, uh, Amy Mann was not really my genre of. Oh, Amy Mann though. Amy Mann. She was the vocalist for till Tuesday. Yeah. See, no, no. Does that sound like anything that I would listen to? What? Till Tuesday. Till Tuesday. They did a voices carry. 
Okay, I only know that from like one of those Time Life uh, commercials. What? <laughs> that was the first time I heard it. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I know it now, but I mean, okay. you know, at the time, I was it's like, a classic. What is it? It's a classic. Anyway, in the year two thousand five, I like I grew up listening to musical acts that had names. Like, how dare you? Name. Um, <laughs> well, clearly, I know a lot because I couldn't recall that. I couldn't recall which band she was a, a member of until. Yeah, we'll be here till Tuesday. I think she was a touring member of Squeeze as well. But um, anyway, so 2005, okay. renewed interest in Betty Lovett. She's got this, like, what's the word for her voice? It's a little gravelly, it's a little stanky. She's got a little, Soul. she's got a little stank, but it's not just grit. She's got grit. Grit. Oh, I don't like calling it grit though. It do, it does have grit, but I like to think of it more as like stank, like someone that could just like read you to fill. She has some attitude on. Yes, because you listen to it, and it's not it's not the most me- melodic voice. It's not the most pleasant voice, mm. but there's just something there that I kind of connect back to. Like you know, Amy Winehouse, I think also had a strange singing voice. It wasn't. Well, I think by intention, it wasn't the most like aesthetically pleasing vocal because mm-hmm. it was like about the song and about the lyric and about what she was feeling and whatnot. So her vocal performance was, you know, uniquely her own. And I think the same could be said for Betty Lovett. Like you listen to her sing and the way she phrases the lyrics, it's mm-hmm. it's unique. And it it may yeah. not be for you, honestly, but not you, not you, Jason, but like you, uh, uh, indefinite. In the indefinite you um yeah. but i love it especially because i love this song that when it was done by amy man the album itself i've got my own hell to raise it's you know that's a reference to the lyric from sleep to dream by fiona apple there is also on this album a pretty excellent cover of sleep to dream by fiona apple the other thing in terms of this betty lovette song and i think it's interesting that this betty lovette song came out in the year before Back to Black came out. I think that one of the things that really makes Back to Black a standout for its time and in its interpretation of 50s and 60s soul music is that there's some way that they're able to capture the actual vintage sound of the recording itself, Mm -hmm. right? That as recording technologies have changed, you know, like recordings get cleaner and cleaner and more refined. And I think that that level of refinement that we become used to by the time, you know, the 2000s roll around, it's kind mm-hmm. of like it, it it sands down something that was actually adding a really nice patina to music of the mm-hmm. era. Mm-hmm. And in contrast to, you know, what Mark Ronson did for Amy Winehouse, this Betty Lavette album that came out in 2005 is very, it's very studio quality if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, and I think that yeah, something, yeah. Is lo- something is lost when there's a studio quality to this type of music. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, it's like if you go back, so the two songs that I think of are, um, are well, the one song I think of is River Deep Mountain High by Tina mm-hmm. Turner, which she did in the 60s. It was like one of her first like solo things she did with Phil Spector. And you listen to that song and it's, it's that Phil Spector wall of sound and I'd always heard about the wall of sound and then you hear it and you realize it's just a wall of sound. Yeah. Like it's not like, like it's it, it and to our minds now it's kind of almost muddy. I don't in a way yeah. like it's it's like so much happening. It's and it's there's a there's a there's peaks like Tina's voice is peaking. There's crackling and it's it's it doesn't sound very clean. Then you listen to like I know Tina redid it, but also like on Celine Dion's "Falling Into You" album in the nineties, um, <laughs> she covered it. 
<laughs> and it's that studio. It's like do 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 do. It 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 has. It's like you can hear every instrument like perfectly. You can hear her perfectly. Like it's it's this whole yeah. thing. It doesn't have the same energy. It feels yeah. oddly sanitized, right? Like it 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 misses that patina, like you're yeah. saying. Where, you didn't realize how much emotion that actually lent an atmosphere it lent to the song. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Cause like when I listen back to like Motown recordings or yeah, like old Phil Spector recordings, there's something about that patina that makes me feel like more in the room. If that makes sense. Like, I guess it's kind of ironic because I think that all of the production quality that people put into their recordings nowadays it is to make you feel like you are in the room with all the people singing or playing instruments, right? Like it's to give you that high fidelity in-person experience, but in a weird, like, yeah, like ironic para- is it paradox or iron irony, paradoxical way, like the actual patina of those sixties recordings makes me feel more like that. Like, did you ever ask your parents what it was like when the world's black and white? <laughs> no, I did not. Maybe your parents aren't old enough, <laughs> but like, maybe I wasn't that dumb. Oh God. <laughs> Come on. People have to have done that. Right? Yeah, no, you, I know. You watch I know black and white TV as a kid. You, or you look at like old pictures yeah, and you're like, and then you, Oh, like it was in color. Was like, like, you know, those cars were red, not gray. I fully, fully yeah. as a kid thought that the world was black and white when my parents were kids. And I was like, what was it like when the world was black and white? It's kind of, yeah. but it's kind of like that. Like the patina transports you. You know, whereas like the removal yeah. of the patina, it keeps you too grounded in the present. Um, yeah. So that's Betty Lovett. I mean, you have a lot in here that I think that I think the playlist would be really interesting to just to just listen through because it's a lot of different yeah. takes and and variations on that sound to varying degrees of success. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're all good songs, but it's just, you know some of them. Some of them do feel like they're they have that 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 similar retro vibe and that excitement, and then there's others that like it should, but but it does it it does sometimes you're like oh this this feels like a a copy of the copy of the copy yeah again and we'll get there because right? like the next few songs on my playlist and I'm gonna try and get through the rest of this playlist real fast because we're running out of time. But, um, you know, I was going to say, Bear, you've you've gone through two songs. On this no, and I, I have very I have very little to say about the rest of these because a whole slew of these songs become a part of the carbon copy of a carbon copy of a carbon copy narrative mm-hmm. that we've been driving home for several episodes now. Um, yep. You know, as we talked about in the aftermath of Amy Winehouse, we do get Adele. Adele obviously goes on to do amazing, spectacular things every, what, five years we get a new Adele album. (laughs) Um, Duffy makes a big splash in the U.S. with her single Mercy, which I think is the most terrible Duffy song. I think it's like the least representative of the fantastic music that Duffy was making. It's the most irritating song. It makes her sound like just like the most irritating person you'd never want to speak to, which I think is how Adele maybe characterized her at the time. Do you remember that? There was like an Adele Duffy feud. I I don't. I, I, I will tell you that like for the most part, I love Mercy. Oh God. It's such a terrible, it's so grating to yeah. the nerves. I, you know, I, I, I don't really like her other music. Ugh. There's a few songs. And I mean, every time you pull one out, I'm like, the whole album where I'm starting to get where I'm like, this is just adult contemporary. No, 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 no. It's got that, it, you know, it reminds me of if, 
if the vintage throwback that Amy Winehouse was doing was more like girl group Shangri-Las type mm, of stuff mm-hmm. with um or stuff that's like soul with an uh horn line and stuff. The stuff that Duffy was doing, it's kind of like um what was that song? To Sir with Love, Lulu. The stuff mm. where it's like a blonde woman singing with um a soaring violin a, a soaring group of violins yeah yeah what what i wanted it to be was more of a dusty springfield no 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 it's definitely and, and the, she's not. the patula clark yeah. of it all right yeah which which neither like lulu and patula clark were not oh they're my everything <laughs> <laughs> that says a lot about us it um, really does so anyway but you know so i put i put cold shoulder by adele on this playlist i put the song delayed devotion by Duffy on this playlist, just because I think if you're, if you found mercy to be just an incorrigible hot mess of a song, listen to the rest of that album work Avenue. If you can find her follow-up album endlessly, also an amazing album, but unfortunately that album is not available for streaming. Um, maybe someday I'll do a dedicated episode to Duffy, but unfortunately, like, I think you we should. don't know a lot about what happened to her. Like, you know, well, we'll get into it in that. Yeah. Episode. Well, when we, you know, when we talk about Adele being basically the one of these three women that like soared to success, like there's a reason for that because obviously Amy Winehouse tragically passes away in 2011. Um, it's revealed very recently that the reason we didn't see Duffy for a long time was because she was a victim of some horrific kidnapping plot. Um, and has been recovering from that. So we wish her the best on that, but you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, kind of crazy, but to continue down my line of, uh, people who saw lower and lower returns on this investment. Um, I put Paloma faith in this group, Paloma faith on her debut album. You, you know, like I think Paloma faith has a slightly different vibe nowadays, but I, when she released her debut album, there was a song on it called smoke and mirrors and you could definitely hear the influence of the, you know, striving for that connection with an Amy Winehouse audience or a Duffy audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, Paloma Faith, I think in her own right, is an extremely successful artist in the UK. But, you know, in the United States, she's received very, very little traction. I saw her perform at the Hotel Cafe. Tiny, tiny, tiny venue. Thing. I saw Paloma Faith perform in a venue that holds maybe 50 people right maybe a hundred yeah it's, it's, i mean it's like a hundred like 50 seated, yeah it's maybe. got like cafe tables it's that small mm. and the stage is maybe it's maybe like 10, 10 feet 10 wide or something yeah yeah, yeah. and that's where i saw Rabel. and she's got this you know and she's a big performer she was performing this song called uh freedom from her second album, she freaking jumped up onto a cafe table at the hotel cafe. I thought she was going to tumble off the table. What was that YouTube video where the girl's singing? Um, Scarlet takes a Scarlet tumble. takes a tumble. I thought she was going to fully Scarlet takes a tumble off mm. that cafe table, but she was ready. She was ready to climb up onto a cafe table at the hotel cafe wearing a gold sequin mini dress and gold heels. I still remember that. I remember you telling yeah. that story when it happened. But Paloma Faith, Smoke and Mirrors, a great song mm-hmm. in this in this vein. Um, and then we start to diminish even further. We get Dion Bromfield. Dion Bromfield, who is actually, I guess, Amy Winehouse's goddaughter and kind of took up in Amy Winehouse's uh, tradition 
Is that the right word? Okay. <laughs> like she kind of took up. I mean, she just pursued that same. Well, but like also, sound. yeah, a very similar sound. I'd say like her inflection, her the way that she pronounces things is pretty similar. Uh, her, her enunciation, yeah, her enunciation, her every everything about her vocal delivery, it feels very referential to Amy Winehouse. Um, mm-hmm. and in a weird parallel, like it's funny listening to Dion Bromfield. I was thinking about um, Black, the girl group Black. And, you know, like in black, they had black was a protege group to Lisa Left Eye Lopez and Natima, who did the rapping in black, basically was like a mini Lisa Left Eye Lopez. Very similar flow, very similar, like tone of voice. Mm -hmm. Um, But similarly, like I think like once their mentors passed away, like Dion Bromfield never really progressed past this first album for some reason Mm, i mean i'm listening to it you say for some reason i mean it's not bad it's just not exciting i love this this whole album i mean i can see why it didn't i mean it just doesn't have that same energy to me i beg to differ it just well, depends no, it on what you're trying to go does for. Have, if you're trying to like take have over like the that world, Amy Winehouse energy. Well, but I guess that's the that's the point, right? It's like we're talking about diminishing returns, but it's also like there's like a the music industry is large, and there are many levels of success, and there are many things like I mean, she has an album that is still streamable here. So yeah. like, but I think and I, yeah. I think that the reception for Dion Bromfield was much bigger in the UK. Like we absolutely never got Dion Bromfield here in the states. Um, yeah more diminishing returns noisettes do you remember this song never forget you i did like that song i'll never forget you yeah i did i feel like we maybe got a little bit of noisettes here but really it i think that they were treated more as like an indie or like a or like an alternative or like an alternative band almost you know yeah yeah by the time you get to yeah noisettes uh vv brown also i think had like a album that got released here that we treated her like she was like like a they were almost like alternative black artists before that was a thing, yeah. right? Like before the alternative R&B was a thing, it was like alternative R&B had kind of been this sort of retro indie sound. Yeah. And then it, then, then it becomes, not that it became alternative R&B, but it like sets, sets the stage for a split, right? Mm-hmm. Between Like a more, maybe more pop oriented R&B that was doing its own thing. Yeah. It's just funny because I, you know, Oh, this is the perfect time to talk about the why are they white bullet point. Uh oh. Well, no, you oh, just yeah. reminded me we never got yeah, to the yeah, why are they yeah. white of it all. But it, it was um, even at the time that it was happening, I think other people were talking about it. It occurred to me too, like, oh, like why are the main three artists that we get in this realm, they're all white women mm-hmm. in a genre that was created by black people has had black artists continually making music of this sort throughout the time of its invention. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, pop culturally, we get these three women as the face of this movement, you know, and that's, that's why I think I let off with Sharon Jones and wondering like why had for so long Sharon Jones been told she was too short, too fat and too black Mm -hmm. for a genre of music that was like invented by black people. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think, you know, part of what you had just said ties into that, that for maybe for black artists making this type of music, it's considered like, quote unquote, alternative or like mm-hmm. indie. It doesn't, you know, it's almost like the expectation as a black artist is 
you're going to do what mainstream music tells you music yeah. for black people is. Yeah. And once you go outside of that, then you're like, oh, then you're a, you know, you're a jazz artist. You have, you have yeah, your own like sub label of a sub label mm-hmm. that specializes in, you know, this type of music, but you're not, you're yeah. not going to be mainstream. So, uh, oh, the last, the, the last carbon copy of a carbon copy of a carbon copy that I have on my list. I actually don't think this is true because I don't know enough about this band because they're from the UK. I feel like mm. I heard this song somewhere. Maybe they performed on X Factor UK or something. It's Stushi. And Stushi is a band that I remember hearing a lot about, but not hearing a lot of music from. And they released this song called Black Heart that I really liked when it came out. I think that yeah. I think that to your point about maybe what Dion Bromfield lacks, I think Stushi actually has a little more of like the what how do I put it? There's no there's no pull to Dion Bromfield's singing. It's very there's, it's very there's spot a on. Vocal dynamism. Yes. There's a there's a it's 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 like you are captivated by this vocal delivery. Dion Bromfield is not a bad singer. No, but it's, it's very it's spot that on thing where it's like it has no, there's no, there's nothing that captivates yeah. you. Whereas like with the Stushi song, and I, you may disagree mm-hmm. with me, but I feel like at least with this vocal like performance it. that they're giving for um, Black Heart, it, uh-huh. there's like a, an emotional pull to the performance that. From the very first yeah, bar. It makes you, yes. it makes you understand what the song is about. I, I, I'll, I'll give it to you now. Okay. This Dion Bromfield song, you might not know from her vocal performance what the song is actually about. Like if you don't say, I, yeah, I guess like it's, it's the good test. A good test of it is like, if you didn't speak English, would you know how the singer felt about what they were singing? You know, mm-hmm. with no understanding of the lyrics. Like that's probably a uh-huh. good, a good litmus test for me to think about. Um, okay. So that, that goes through like carbon copies of carbon copies of carbon copies. I had some other songs on this list. I could go through them really quickly. Joss Stone, okay. if you remember released her first like debut like buzzy ep it was called um the soul sessions and it was kind of a a session album she sang with her cousin angie stone doing backup Um, (laughs) by the way i'm joking angie Angie, Angie stone is not joss stone's cousin but um she does sing back from the, they are from the they are related to the rolling yeah Stones. yes exactly um no, but no, 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 angie no, stone no. does sing backing vocals on joss stone's original album and you know i remember when joss stone came out i was very excited by this album maybe again because i was part of that npr crowd npr crowds are very mm-hmm. excited about this album and she records this very cool feeling almost like precociously cool because i think she was maybe like 14 or 15 at the she time was like 16 yeah so she was really young. she was very young she's got this very husky voice for a a teen, um, you know, and, and, and she records this debut album. She does a song called super duper love, which I think is a cover. Is it a cover? I don't know. I'm going to take a stab and say it was a cover. Cause she also did like a, a, a white stripes cover. The one that I really liked was all the King's horses. That is an Aretha Franklin. Song. Okay. Maybe it was all covers. I'm oh. going to say it's all covers. You know, she was too young to be making her own music. <laughs> Excuse but the 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 point the point I have in bringing up Joss Stone is that she was doing kind of um, a retro style of music back in 2003 when she was a teenager. I think the great disappointment for me with Joss Stone was that it never nothing ever came of it. 
No. Like she released this EP in 2003. And then when her actual solo music came out, it was um that that song, uh, You Got Me. It just didn't ha- it didn't it, have any of the the feel, I guess, of what we were set up to believe she was going to do. It kind of reminds me of like Leanne Rhymes. Like mm-hmm. Leanne Rhymes, she comes on the scene doing big covers at like 14 of of like classic country songs. And everyone's like, oh my God, listen to this 14-year-old with this big voice. And you've talked about this. You talked about this with what's her name? The little girl uh from X Factor. Rachel Crow. Uh, uh yeah, the one who uh, what's her name killed. Um but uh <laughs> you know uh you know it's this thing where it's like little person, big voice, and then they go on to like do their own thing and you're like, okay, there's no originality. Yeah. Or it's like not to say that Leanne Rhymes doesn't have originality. She can't just fight that. the moonlight. No. Is that the lyric? No, but <laughs> Yes, can't fight the moonlight. But you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it doesn't, it's not the same. It's like a person being able to really sing at, at a young yeah. age, this other person's big song, it doesn't translate necessarily, isn't automatically going to translate into them having a compelling musical. Yeah. I definitely felt like uh, with Joss Stone, when her debut album finally came out in 2005, I felt like there was a little bit of a bait and switch for me. I was like, oh, this is not what I was waiting yeah. for from Joss yeah. Stone for two years. Yeah. That's why I haven't listened yeah. to it. And then, you know, so then the last things I have, it's just a compendium of like other songs that I really like in this genre, stuff that I felt filled mm. out the playlist a little bit. Um, <laughs> most importantly, this the end of this playlist includes men because heaven forbid we should ever exclude men. Um, <laughs> they don't get enough love. No, no. Um the first song that I've selected from a man was Mayor Hawthorne's Your Easy Love and Ain't Pleasing Nothing. Um, I think Mayor Hawthorne, is it Mayor Hawthorne and maybe Aloe Black? They both belong to like a label that um, specializes in this type of mu- throwback music. Mm. Um, mm. Mayor Hawthorne's album that this came off of, like I thought the whole thing was really good. But this this particular song it just gets me every time. Just it, again, this it, it, my shoulder is un, uncontrollably shimmy. They're just shimmering. Yeah. shimmy and shimmering. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You put that Get little, a little, put uh, little highlight on there. Yeah, highlighter. Um, uh, second song by a man on here, "Loving You Is Killing Me" by Aloe Black. Um, Aloe Black is interesting because I feel like the biggest thing that Aloe Black ever got was um, that uh, shit. He did a he did featured vocals. Wake mm-hmm. me up, Avicii. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that I feel like that is what Aloe Black became known for widely. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because it's not necessarily representative of his full oeuvre. Well, let's be clear. When we were at the Hollywood Bowl for that one concert and that man introduced him as Miss Aloha Black. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who... <laughs> were you no. there for that you were there for, was i already drunk it was like a <laughs> it was a it was like a um a com, it was like a you know a, a concert with multiple people and it was this old older i think it was like an older soul singer who was kind of had mc duties oh jeez. and he's like and next we have a young lady named miss aloha black <laughs> and it and then aloe black comes out and everyone's like wait what like oh, he just God. messed that up was so ter- bad that's terrible it was it was really bad. I but was not I, there I, for that. I, I do like Aloe Black. I would have remembered that. But um, yeah, no, Loving You is Killing Me, Aloe Black, mm-hmm. amazing song. He also has a good song called like I Need a Dollar. Love that song. Mm-hmm. Um 
the bamboos I also have on this list. Uh-huh. Uh, the bamboos, I think they're from Australia, and yeah, I think that are. you know they're a band, and they they get like featured vocalists to come and lay down the vocals for them. So this song features a vocalist named Bobby Flynn. Really love this song. Love the vocal. Just I gotta send you a, the the bamboos. I I have a favorite song of theirs that they released. I think in the last year. Okay. Um, and it's a cover. It's um, oh, it's so good. I don't know. <laughs> twenty nineteen. I'll find Send it. it to I'll me. find it. I'll it add it to the playlist. I think. Um. Yeah, oh, the yeah. uh, the another song I put on here, "Cooking on Three Burners." Uh, the song mm-hmm. "Mind Made Up" featuring Kylie Aldist. Um, similar to Aloe Black. The biggest thing that Cooking on Three Burners ever did was licensing licensing the the vocal and instruments for their song called This Girl. And then it became that like dance remix hit. It was like the biggest the biggest hit for them. Uh, this is one of those things where I'm like, you want to be a household name and you come out with a name like Cooking on Three Burners? Not going to happen. It fits with their music. It's just not people aren't going to say. Maybe it, they. You know I, mean, I mean, you know, like, I mean, and when I get down to this list, I hate. I I feel like it's. I'm remiss to call these final songs or any of these songs flops, because I think the honest to god truth with a lot of artists that make this type of music is that they don't expect to be pop yeah. stars. Like they're they're making a subgenre of music that, you know, has a limited amount of exposure to people. Um, I just but has a lot of licensing potential. Exactly. I, that's why I think it's interesting that you know we we do know Aloe Black because Aloe Black was featured on an Avicii song, and we do know Cooking on Three Burners because it was um, this girl, the Kungs versus Cooking on Three Burners remix. Sorry, I'm just dancing. Hey, you're shimmying your shoulders. Good. That's what that's what it was made made for. Um, and then the the last song that I put on here is Winds of Change. Fits in fits in the tantrums. I loved the the first album from Fits in the Tantrums. I will say that like Fits in the Tantrums is probably the one band on this whole list that has continued to like ascend. Like I feel like their their profile is becoming higher and higher where I'm like, yeah. oh, like I'm hearing Fits in the Tantrums music like on the radio now or in commercials now. Um and the correlation there is that the more popular their music is, the more I hate it. Oh, well, that's that's very on brand for you. <laughs> and not because it's popular. I think that the thing is that their music now is much more like contemporary sounding. Mm. It's it's not it doesn't have that throwback it sound. It does not have a throwback sound anymore. Mm-hmm. It's maybe I don't want to say gimmicky, but it is kind of gimmicky. It feels like the type of thing where their new music you immediately know could be in like a target commercial or an old Navy commercial. It sounds that marketable. You know, there's like a quality to some things where you're like, this is a jingle. This could be a jingle. Well, you know, famously artists are people who want to buy homes too. Yeah. But, but at what price? (laughs) At whatever the market price, have you been out there? It's crazy. (laughs) Um, Write a target song. I told Adam, go out and write a target song. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He should do that. But if you know, if you're used to Fits in the Tantrums and you've heard Fits in the Tantrums doing songs like Hand Clap, um, you know, listen to their first album because I think it's really different. Um, it feels really organic. I, I like also that Fits in the Tantrums has like dual, like male and female vocalists. I uh-huh. just love that. I don't know why. 
something something so unique about it. You always like that. That's like a thing. For it me. is. It's we so talked good. Talked about that multiple times. But this song, "Winds of Change," gives me all the feels. Makes my shoulders shimmy. Uh, I think I listen to this song and I get like emotional. I don't know why. I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you what the song's about. We need to examine this. <laughs> I mean, this is getting dark. <laughs> you know, and that takes us to the end of my playlist. Go out and, and well, you know, everyone. What are your retro renaissance uh faves like do you like any of these um do you have particular feelings or what what other styles of revival revival styles have come up that have that have bubbled up through pop music you know have caught your fancy and had 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 a little you know resonant success for other artists throughout throughout the years i'd be interested to hear yeah Take us away, Jason. I know. Special thanks to Adam Elder for composing our theme music. Songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopredeemer.com, and they will be also put into a playlist for your enjoyment. Um, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and check us out on social at flopredeemer on Instagram and Twitter, and at facebook.com slash flopredeemer. And, you know, that's where you will find our playlist. They are promoted on our socials. Um, email us at flopredeemer at gmail.com and let us know what you think. Yay. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye.